Welcome to the Real Clear Values podcast with me, Tom English. This is a podcast about values, the good, the bad, and the ugly. In this episode, I speak with Kevin Hancock, who is an award-winning author, speaker, and the CEO of Hancock Lumber Company, one of America's oldest family-run businesses, which is headquartered in Casco, Maine. It was founded in 1848. Hancock Lumber is a seven-time consecutive recipient of the Best Places to Work in Maine Award. Kevin has more recently written books dedicated to what he calls shared leadership. The seventh power is a notable example of that. Kevin had an extraordinary experience some years ago when he lost his voice and in losing his voice found his leadership in a way that he hadn't found it before. That is very much the basis of this conversation today. So to hear more about Kevin's extraordinary story and his leadership transformation and the impact that that had on the results of Hancock Lumber Company, stay tuned. Kevin Hancock, welcome to the Real Clear Values podcast. Tom, hello. It's great to be with you. Kevin, you are the CEO of Hancock Lumber Company. And your story is a fascinating one. I know you've spoken with other people about this as well, but when you and I connected through a mutual friend, Connie Whitman, it was particularly interesting to me to learn more about your story because there's a lot in your story about leadership as a CEO, about how to be a leader, how to be a CEO more effectively that I think a lot of people can learn from, especially in relation to values. And that side of things. So, Kevin, just to to kind of start things off, to set the scene, I'd love to talk a little bit about your company itself and the heritage of your company. Tell us a little bit about Hancock Lumber Company before you took on the role of of CEO. Sure. So, our uh, company is old by uh, American standards, maybe not so old by uh, British or European standards, but our company goes back to 1848, so before the first cannonball was fired in the U.S. Civil War, and I'm part of the sixth consecutive generation uh, of my family to work for and help lead the company, and we're an integrated forest products and lumber companies. So we own uh, timberland and we grow trees and then we have sawmills and we manufacture lumber that we ship all over the world. And then in uh, New England, here in the States, we have a, a dozen lumber yards that supply a full line of building materials to professional builders and homeowners. So 15 sites across New England, and there are about 700 people who uh, work at the company, are part of the team. So it's a pretty decent-sized operation. And even though you say that it's it's all by American standards, I actually think that an 1848 inception date should be pretty old by any standards companies come and go all the time don't they and the fact that you've got such a large healthy operation that's lasted for so long i think that that speaks volumes about the way the company was established the way that it was set up so tell us a little bit about that then kevin what what's the company like as you've known it throughout history and what what, what's been the guiding principles besides just 
dealing with lumber and dealing with tradespeople and and your your internal staff as well sure that's a, a great question a uh, number of ways i could answer that but it makes me think about the original business that we're in which is the the growing of trees so the primary species of tree that grows on our land is the uh, eastern white pine they were actually um used by the british navy way back when from masts on sailing ships uh, but i mentioned the pine tree for this reason it takes 80 to 100 years to grow one so our company's been in business since 1848 but i often jokingly say we've actually only had two crops in that entire period <laughs> which is kind of mind-blowing to think about so yeah uh, my point there is you have to take a very long multi-generational sustainable view of your business to be in the business of growing trees and manufacturing lumber and i think that long view has uh, spilled into everything that we do when we think about the importance of people the relationships with employees suppliers customers community we take a, a long view with all of that i absolutely love that kevin i absolutely love the fact that it takes such a long time for these trees to grow because like you say you you can't change nature you can't superimpose your will or the will of the company or the supply needs of the customers or the company itself onto nature nature's going to nature's going to do what it's going to do and it's going to take that amount of time and so you've got to work around that but like you say it's forced you to think more long term it's forced you to think more about sustainability so how do you do that then because sustainability is a word that gets used quite a lot it's it's it can be it's been accused of being a buzzword in the business context so you can't afford to deal with buzzwords for you it has to be real it has to be sustainability in word and deed in action so that you get the right outcomes for your own businesses for your own lastability if you like so so what does sustainability mean for your business kevin well for me it, it means uh applying the objectives of sustainability to the human beings that work at the company i i love your question sustainability is important in so many ways environmental sustainability and so on but i think within companies people often overlook the importance of human sustainability and what i mean by that is that is making sure that the people who are coming to work at the company the people who give it life are actually being engaged and valued and honored uh, and treated in a sustainable way so that they can do their work for extended periods of, of time. A career lasts a long time and work really needs to be sustainable for the humans who are doing it. 
Yeah, absolutely. So this this is I'm I'm going to stick with this and dig in a little bit deeper here, Kevin, because this is such an important point. And many companies that are absolutely obsessed with quarterly earnings and tick box metrics will say, "Oh yeah, we we do all that. We we we're, we're focused on the people. We're focused on the sustainability of people." But how do you know? How, what, what's what's the the Hancock Lumber Company way of doing it in terms of ensuring that you are genuinely focused on the sustainability of people and that it isn't just a tick box exercise that it isn't just something to flash up on the website yeah we we i think know for two reasons first we make it a top corporate priority so there is nothing more important to us than the experience of the people working at the company most companies get what Ever they prioritized. So if a company's not getting something, it's typically because it's not consistently prioritized. So first, we consistently prioritize the employee experience. But then second, we've developed a number of mechanisms for getting feedback from the employees about their experience because to your point, the key to measuring the employee experience is to hear it and be able to qualify it directly from the employees themselves. So, for example, we uh, use third parties to uh, survey our employees on their own engagement experience, and those surveys produce a trove of data, including uh, scores. So in America today, Gallup, the well-known polling company, will will tell you that approximately one in three American workers finds their job engaging, which is just a terribly pitiful, unnecessary statistic. At our company, uh, we know for certainty because we're collecting the data and doing the surveys, our engagement level runs at about 90%. So nine out of 10 people who work at our company will confidentially describe their peer, their experience as meaningful and engaging. So we've been able to put data and metrics around the employee experience of which that's one example wow that's quite incredible especially as people find meaning in that work and what you're describing is you're working in the domain of commodities as well and and it's easy to just see commodities as just stuff so so how do you do that then how do you help people to find meaning in their work especially in that particular context i think that's really interesting well, I think the way you the way you help people find meaning in their work is again to prioritize it. So we tell our people that their expectation should be that their work experience is meaningful. We tell our managers and our supervisors that and we encourage our people uh, to speak up, to think, reflect and to talk if they're not having a meaningful um, experience. Beyond that, though, I think it's really about uh, pushing power out 
so that everyone has a job in which they feel like they are leading that job. They're, they're responsible for their work. They can own their outcomes. They can make the changes they want to make. They can suggest the improvements they want to suggest, and they can see the results of their work. And right behind that comes a a business culture, a leadership culture of listening. And we talk a lot about this at our own company. The purpose of listening to the people who work here uh, is not for judgment, it's for understanding. So the big goal is to create a culture where everybody at work feels heard. I I like to talk about um, the, the goal of helping everybody at work feel trusted, respected, valued, heard, and safe so that everyone feels comfortable being their authentic self, using their authentic voice, and recognizing the power and influence and control that they have. It's just about uh, making people recognize how important they are. That all sounds fantastic. And I actually I actually really like the first point that you made there, Kevin, or one of the first points you made about helping people to start with the expectation that their work should be meaningful. So you're priming them to get into that mindset. And that, in a way, like you say, about pushing power out to people, that is also inviting them to take on that responsibility, to take the responsibility on to create meaning in the work that they do for themselves. And this is this is one thing that I've, I've thought a, a lot about in terms of this you know some people talk about well it should be the it should be the workplace it should be the the company itself it should be these people on high in the company who are giving people meaningful work or bestowing meaningful work upon people and frankly i don't agree with that i think the onus is on the individual to create meaning as well i think sure there are things that the, the company can do in terms of you know from the top down or from the culture and the values and all these other these schemes and the infrastructure that's put in place however the individual is ultimately, they are the only one, the only person that can determine meaning in our lives is ourselves. So I love how you prime people for that. I also like what you say about pushing power out as well and giving people that in autonomy, that empowerment to, to do things and to get things done and to, to actually see that what it is that they've contributed has led to a result, has contributed to to a bigger result. I think that's massively important for people to feel like what they do actually makes a difference. And it's not just some some grunt work that they're doing and they're doing it just day in, day out. I'd like to, um, I don't know if you've got anything else to say on that for now, Kevin, but I would love to start speaking about your experience in 2010. And this is the, this is the thing that that really attracted me to speaking with you on the show, Kevin, because it's really quite extraordinary, this experience that you had in 2010. Tell us what happened and tell us how it changed things for you as a leader, as a CEO. Yeah, so in 2010, at the peak of the global housing and mortgage market collapse, a very stressful time for our company and industry, at the peak of that time, I uh, began to have trouble speaking, something I'd always done a lot of as a CEO, but really taken for granted. When I would go to talk, all the muscles in my throat would 
like spasm and squeeze and contract and my voice got very choppy and broken and it kept getting worse. Turned out I'd acquired a rare neurological voice disorder called spasmodic dysphonia that affects only speech with no known cause and no known cure. So there I was trying to help our company through the collapse of the housing market without really being able to use my voice. My voice has gotten a lot better since, but back then and for a period of years, there is no way I would have been talking to you right now. I literally couldn't do it. So I say to people now, when it's hard to talk, you quickly come up with strategies for doing less of it. And mine was to answer a question with a question, thereby putting the responsibility for speaking right back on the other person. Mind you, initially, this was not a leadership tactic. This was simply uh, self-preservation, trying to uh, work around my voice issues. So people would come up to me at work in that traditional format because I was the CEO or one of the leaders of the company with a question or a problem. Prior to my voice condition, I always gave an answer, a directive, an instruction. But now I started saying simply uh, something like, gee, that is a good question. What do you think we should do about it? He or she would then describe what they thought, and then I would respond a second time by saying, okay, that sounds good. Let's go do that. And off he or she would go with his or her solution to the problem that they saw. Now, having done that hundreds of times, I might have been a little slow on the uptake, but here's what dawned on me that was really beautiful and really powerful and transformed the way I thought about leadership. Here's what dawned on me. People already knew what to do. They already knew what to do, Tom. They didn't actually need a top-down, executive-led set of instructions 99% of the time. So what did they need? Well, all they really needed was the encouragement and the cultural safety to trust and follow their own voice. That got me thinking very differently about leadership and and really set me on a path of in the 21st century, our modern age, leadership should be about distributing power, not collecting it, and giving other people a stronger voice. And in that way, I really started to see that perhaps my own voice restrictions, which I'd only ever previously thought of as a liability or quite literally a pain in the neck, perhaps it was actually a gift and an invitation to lead differently. Yeah. Wow. That that's really powerful. And again, coming going back to the idea of creating meaning, you've created that meaning yourself. You've taken that and you've interpreted that that incident, that difficulty, that hardship, that challenge that you have encountered, and you've interpreted it in such a way 
that it can improve you or help you to improve as a leader. I particularly love what you just said there about not accumulating power as a leader, but dispersing power, distributing power. And it runs, I think, from my my own perception, it runs that runs counter to much of what we see in popular culture and the media and ideas about what it means to be a powerful leader in a business about this idea of amassing power and accumulating power. And it's like, you've, con- you've, you've conquered Hancock Lumber Company now. Why don't you go and make it even bigger and even bigger and take over the universe? Or if you can't do that, why don't you go and hop over to another industry and take over that instead? And you're talking about something entirely different. You're talking about let's make things right in Hancock Lumber Company to the extent that we do things the right way where everybody can feel empowered because I trust the people that are being hired at the company that they've already got the answers that they've already got their brains they've got the skills they've got the will to be there and to contribute let's give the power to them rather than it all being devolved to me and let's see how things change so how did things change when you changed that style Kevin when you dispersed the power and it it dawned on you that people already had the answers how did things change in terms of the way that, that the culture was the way that operations were, and also the results that you got from that. Yeah, it uh, was quite dramatic. So we've been on that path now for a decade, and we have kept doubling down on the same set of ideas. The first thing that happened, which I did not see coming, but it makes all kinds of sense, is we started making better decisions. <laughs> if the old model, when a few people at the center were calling all the shots, we uh, got some of them right, but we got a bunch of them wrong. In the new model, where we were giving everybody a voice, we were listening to everybody that we could, we started making better decisions. Put a price tag on better decisions. It's really, really valuable. And that starts building confidence. When people who work at the company see the company consistently making decisions that work, confidence starts spiraling. So that was one big benefit. Second big benefit, which also surprised me at first, but now makes total sense, is our accuracy, efficiency, and productivity statistically went through our roof. My worry with distributing power and giving everybody a voice is what happens to best practices, corporate discipline, all of that. Well, what we found is it get it got dramatically better. And I believe the reason why is simple. People are much more apt to authentically support that which they help to create. And because people were participating in decisions, often making the decisions, the buy-in just got much deeper. So we were making better decisions. We were getting deeper buy-in and alignment. People were having great work experiences. And then one really cool outcome of that is our profit performance just 
took off. I, I'm going to share this for the sake of the idea, not um, to self-serve our company, but it's just oh, so dramatic. We ended up, um, we ended up making more money from 2011 to 2020 than we did from 1848 to 2010. <laughs> and we've been a really wow. good, solid company. But wow. what I love about that is that profit performance for us was a really cool and important outcome of a higher calling. Mm. So the focus was to allow employees to thrive at work. The company then ended up soaring on the wings of thriving employees at work. Wow. So the company's performance got better by putting the people who work at the company first. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's absolutely incredible. That that really is remarkable. I mean, if you put that you put that on a on a bumper sticker or a tagline somewhere, if you were set, you know, if you're selling that idea, the idea of how to approach leadership and how to disperse power. And how to give the the people at the the coal face or the respective coal faces the decision making authority and power that that says a hell of a lot and and in fact it says so much that almost anybody interested in business is going to wonder is going to want to look into that and want to learn more about that so that's the business side of things but you didn't stop there did you kevin in terms of this journey about empowerment and giving a voice to the voiceless you didn't stop there, did you? You didn't because you'd realized that you, you you were lacking a voice yourself in that situation through no fault of your own. It was something that was that was kind of thrust upon you. You found meaning in that in that circumstance yourself. But you wanted to learn more about that, didn't you? So so tell us a little bit more about your journey in terms of learning more about those who don't have a voice and, and what you took from them. Yeah. So again, when you are not talking all the time you end up listening more and the voice i started hearing more authentically tom was my own and one of the voices i started hearing more authentically and i realized that i had gotten too too caught up in my role as ceo and really had other facets of who I was that were wanting to manifest. I didn't know how that was going to play out, but I'd always had a love affair with the American West and particularly American history in the second half of the 19th century when America's Western expansion and manifest destiny ran into the plains Indian tribes. I was fascinated by that period. Anyway, in October of 2012, I picked up a copy of National Geographic, and the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation was the cover story. Pine Ridge is the biggest, most historic, today the poorest, and most uh, disenfranchised of all the Sioux reservations on the northern American plains. And I read that story and was just swept away and 
sent to my wife in an instant upon completing reading it. I said, I'm going to go there. I want to see what life is like for the people who live there. I had no idea where that would take me, but one trip became two, two became three. I've now been there over two dozen times. I'm going back next week. Have taken two uh, Lakota names, but here was the connection there. Um, I encountered an entire community that did not feel fully heard, that felt as if their authentic voice had been marginalized. So I put together my own voice condition experience at Hancock Lumber with my time on this remote disenfranchised reservation, and I had what I've come to describe as five personal learnings. First, because of my own voice condition, I actually knew what it was like to not feel fully heard because I often couldn't say what I wanted to say. Second, at Pine Ridge, I realized there were lots of ways for humans to lose a piece of their authentic voice in this world. Third, that actually got me thinking, Tom, about the very meaning or purpose of a human life on Earth. And in that context, I pondered, well, perhaps it's to self-actualize. Perhaps the one thing all humans have in common is we're just here trying to know our inner, authentic voice, self, and identity. And, and to know it, to love it, to embrace it, and to bring it forth and, and gift it to humanity, to those around us. Maybe that's the purpose of a human life. So then I said to myself, well, that is the purpose. What role have leaders historically played to support that journey? And and I concluded that while humanities had some exceptional leaders in total, leaders had probably done more to limit, restrict, direct, manage, and exploit the voices of others rather than liberate them. And that's when this epiphany hit me that, that my voice condition was an invite to try to reverse that model. And because I was the CEO of a company, I had the opportunity to not just ponder this, but to actually uh, try it. And my passion since has been either at work or in a disenfranchised community like on the Pine Ridge Reservation uh, to try to help people uh, reclaim their authentic, powerful, sacred voice that dwells equally within us all. Wow, that's very powerful. There's a lot of powerful things to think about there and reflect on, Kevin. And it's certainly worth bearing in mind that everybody has that. And this is something I talk about in my own work as a mentor, is that everybody has that unique, authentic voice and everybody can create something that is unique themselves through which to make a unique contribution and or contributions because it's going to be different in in each context i absolutely love what you're saying there about the sacredness of that voice as well because for me as, as i read it it is sacred it, it comes from it's transcendent it comes from beyond just you know you've been the, the 
the sum of your parts, so to speak, or your, your DNA or what your parents were or anything like that. I think everybody comes out different for one way or another. And that difference is that that difference, especially as people are growing up, I think they, they shy away from that because that's the thing that makes them stand out. And if you're in a school situation, sometimes that could make you the subject of bullying because you're weird or you're different or you're something else. But like you say, at, at work, at work, when when people kind of grow up and they get more mature and you go to university, if you do, or you, you play a trade or you go to work, things change. And all of a sudden, that difference, that authenticity, that uniqueness can really come into its own because you're dealing, hopefully, for the most part, with with mature adults who who can give you the time and space that you need to develop that. But I also love what you say, besides giving people the time and space to do that, about not exploiting it, because I think it's very, very easy for people to exploit that as well. And there are people who can make massive outsized contributions, much bigger than the 80-20 rule would entertain. And they're not, they're not paid that. They're not, they're not rewarded for that. They're not recognized for that. And so what you're doing, I think, I think is very, very important in the sense that you've recognized this pattern in leaders and managers holding people back and you're going your your kind of mission if you like i hope i'm not going too far by saying that but your your one of your purposes is to reverse that and to change it through your capacity so kevin how are you how are you going about trying to change that now is it is it is this something that's just limited to to hancock lumber or is it something that you're taking beyond hancock lumber and trying to apply elsewhere yeah so i'm trying to apply those ideas everywhere I go. Now, a big focus of my attention is applying it within our company, and that's a never-ending uh, job. You can't rest on it, but it's really a universal idea that um, could reinvent every part of human society from education to work to cross-cultural engagement, all of it. You know, the old model of leadership to me was about getting people to conform. The new model of leadership to me is getting people to feel safe, to be their authentic selves. If we have 700 people who work at our company, the truth about our company has 700 voices, and they aren't meant to be identical. They're meant to be unique, but leadership has invested uh, a, a crazy amount of historic uh, energy in preventing that uniqueness from coming forth, which when you think about it that way is... Uh, it would be comical if it wasn't so unfortunate. It's just backwards. Leaders should be giving people voice, not restricting it. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the difficult thing about conformity and trying to impose conformity on people, especially like you say, where you've got an organization of 700 people or so, the danger is trying to impose conformity on people, ensure that they conform and they buy the book and they stay in their little box and stay in their lane. Don't stray out of that. Don't shake the boat. Don't do anything that's going to attract attention to yourself. The difficulty with all of that, of keeping people hemmed in and boxed in, 
is that it's based on the presupposition that the leadership have all the answers. The leadership know what's best all the time, that they are some enlightened beings that somehow always have the right answers. And and like you said, it would be it would be comical if it wasn't so tragic, if it wasn't so limiting. Limiting to the company as well, because because this this is the thing about it. It's like what you've identified, it's it's is the ultimate win-win because you give people their empowerment, you give people a voice, you invite them to find meaning in their work so that they can latch onto that, they can create that for themselves through your helping hand, through your invitation. You're meeting them halfway. They meet you halfway as well. And then something happens. You know, there's some sort of alchemy happens where they start, you know, things go around in their head. They figure out what it all means to them. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, they, they start to find meaning in the work. They're, they're more engaged. They're looking at problems differently. They're looking at potential solutions differently. They're pulling threads of ideas from all over the place because everybody's got different interests as well. So there, you know, there, there's a massive cross-pollination that can occur. And it's it's a just a fantastic thing from their point of view and their satisfaction and enjoyment. But then, like you say, but those going back to the results of of the company since you employed this particular approach, absolutely phenomenal. It, it's absolutely amazing just how that actually works in terms of the things that everybody really cares about. Let's be honest, everybody cares about the bottom line. Everybody cares about the numbers. So many people say, "Oh yeah, we care about this and we care about that," and and they put they put nice phrases and words on the websites, but in praxis, it doesn't necessarily translate to how things are actually done. And, and, we, and everybody knows, you know, it's, it's a little bit like a, an open secret that everybody knows that, yeah, we, we say this stuff on the surface, that we care about all these values. But underneath, it's really just about it's really just about the dollar. It's really just about making the quarter. It's really just about making the financial year. So this this is great, Kevin. I, I really hope that you are successful in your quest to to bring this to people's attention because i think it's really important that there is there is the kind of you, you might call it the ethical case the moral case however you want to frame it that's important but also the pound well we say in the uk we say pound shillings and pence you know the dollars and cents if you want to say that in in north america it's really important that that is brought to the fore as well because it shows how correct principles work i talk a lot about principles in my own work as well and and these are things that are like keys that will never rust. What, what you've been talking about today, about, about meaning in work, about power dispersal, about authenticity, about people having self-sovereignty to create better outcomes. These, as I see them, they are keys that will never rust. It's not based on a fad. It's not based on some form of political correctness. It's not based on somebody's agenda. It just works. It's just the way it is. You know, we are meant to come together to collaborate with each other to exchange you know just like people did in days gone by you know the native americans did a lot of trading with with the settlers for various different things you know for for knowledge you know know how how to cross a river in a canoe and things like that but also in terms of in terms of supplies as well so if we could apply that and say okay right we do need each other and we don't have to be in dire straits to realize that we need each other maybe we could get a lot further forward so kevin Let's assume right now that there's that there are some business leaders who are listening to this podcast, they're listening to our conversation and thinking, okay, okay, this this all sounds good. Maybe maybe I'd, I'd like to try some more of this and create a, an environment in my workplace that is more conducive to people having meaning, to having that sense of uh, safe space where they can be authentic, where they can create more, contribute better outcomes. How what would you tell these business leaders who are listening? 
who want to get into this more, who want to disperse power, try things a different way. What advice would you give them about how they can start to do that in a meaningful way? Great question. I would say it starts with making it safe for people to say what they actually think. And for a work culture to become safe that way, the leaders have to show restraint in how they respond. Prior to my voice condition, I realized upon reflection that I usually was listening to judge what someone else was saying. And I would either affirm it by saying, yes, that's right, or uh, disaffirm it in some way. Today at our company, all we try to do when we listen is confirm understanding. So today in a Hancock Lumber huddle, where people are sharing perspectives, what you would hear the leader or facilitator or manager say when someone finished, it's simply, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. I don't need to affirm it or disaffirm it. You just spoke your truth. And thank you for speaking your truth. And when when the executive starts making it safe for the people working with him or her to say what they think, and that is sustained, that will ripple through the entire organization, which has really quickly led me to, you know, take on another big subject subject with this, which is why has work historically been stressful? Why has it been emotionally fatiguing? Why has it been unsafe? It doesn't have to be that way. We have a a very competitive, aggressive company, uh, but one of my goals is essentially you can't get in trouble. And I mean, of course, you can do things that would be so outside the values that, that you I would have a problem. But generally, for those great people who show up every day doing their work, getting in trouble is just a really silly idea. And it restricts uh, growth because it encourages people to be super, super cautious about what they say or what they try. So I would close this by saying I'm really thinking of uh, Gandhi's iconic Council, be the change you wish to see in the world. So, if you want an organization that listens, become a better listener. If you want an organization that disperses power, show restraint uh, in in your leadership. And restraint to me means having the power to make a decision right now, but not using it having the patience for the team to build a a consensus that has authentic buy-in. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea of being the change, being the exemplar, not just sitting there on your proverbial throne, dishing out orders, but instead actually 
showing people through behavior. And this might be the third time that I'll share this quote on this podcast so far, but I love what I think it was Emerson said when he said, I cannot hear what you're saying because what you're doing is ringing so loudly in my ears. And that is absolutely spot on in relation to values. Anybody can say what their values are. Anybody can put anything on, on the website and make it official, but it's only really official in, in the, the eyes of the observers, the eyes of the people who are being led, the eyes of the customers, if, if the behavior matches. That's what people are looking at. They're really looking at that behavior. So, Kevin, I've absolutely loved this conversation. Just in closing, is there anything that you are offering that, that leaders could get involved with, that they could, how they could learn more? from your work or from your principles? Is there anything that you'd like to direct people to? Yes, uh, two, two places, Tom, thank you. First, I uh, have written a book on this very topic that we're discussing today. That book is titled The Seventh Power, One CEO's Journey into the Business of Shared Leadership. And you can find that book on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com or anywhere books are sold. And second, I have a, a website dedicated to this cause titled The Business of Shared Leadership the business of shared leadership. And if you go to that site, you'll see tons of resources on this topic. And uh, if interested, you can reach me directly there as well. Fantastic. Well, I'll certainly be digging further into that, Kevin. I did have a look before we, we came on the call and, and after we'd spoken previously, just, just to, to say hi to each other and become acquainted somewhat. I've loved this conversation. I love the work that you're doing. I love the principles that you are applying, that you are living, that you are sharing with other people. And I wish you all the very best in the rest of your work, Kevin. Thank you for being on the Real Clear Values podcast. Thank you. It was my pleasure, Tom. Thank you for listening to the Real Clear Values podcast with Tom English. If you know anyone who is looking for success that's both meaningful and sustainable for themselves, or their organization, then please send them this podcast. And if you yourself are looking to create a life of purpose, meaning and fulfillment for your own version of sustainable success, then I offer a mentoring program that will get you on your way. Just go to 3stewardships.com or message me directly to tom at 3stewardships.com. That's tom at 3stewardships.com. Until next time, I'm Tom English and I wish you all the best in your own pursuit of sustainable success.